Well, good morning, everybody watching this over at our Ashley Park campus. We are so glad you are joining us today, as well as those of you who are catching up with this online. We are continuing today in this series that you just saw was called Gym Class. And in it, we are, have been learning from the brother of Jesus, a guy named James, what it actually means to follow Jesus. And today, uh, James is going to be teaching us what it means or what it takes to be blessed. What does it mean to have the good life? And we've all got ideas about what it'll take for us to have that. In fact, there used to be a show on TV years ago about a group of plastic surgeons. And on the beginning of most every episode, the main character, who was a plastic surgeon, would look directly into the camera and would ask, so tell me what you don't like about yourself. I thought this was such an insightful kind of statement, kind of question about what it means to be human, that we all have something that we don't like about ourselves. We all have something that we wish we could change. In fact, we think, you know, if I could just change that one thing, if I could just fix that one thing, well, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be fulfilled. And for most of us, even though we don't like to say it, it almost always is something external. It's If I could just change my appearance or my weight or maybe it's a new job or just a better position within the job or maybe it's about the amount of money we make or maybe it's just about what other people think of us or it's something relational. It's a a better marriage or a new marriage or, you know, better relationship with my kids or that my kids would act a little better. We, We have this idea that the good life is ultimately about how exciting or how enjoyable or how comfortable our life is. And so most of us, most of our time is really spent centered on trying to control the circumstances in our lives to get everything in order. Or we're trying to control what other people think about us and our life. Or we're trying to control the people in our life so that we can be happy. We think if I could just get everything kind of up in order, then I would be living the good life. I'd be living my best life. I'd be blessed. That ultimately we think what makes us happy or what makes us blessed is about what happens to us. But today, very similar to what we learned last week, we're going to be learning from the brother of Jesus about what it really means to be blessed. And I think James would say, hey, the blessed life, the good life is not about what happens to you. It's about the person you become. In just a little bit, we're going to learn James is actually saying, hey, you need to spend a little less time in front of a mirror asking, what don't I like about my appearance? What don't I like about my job? What don't I like about the amount of money I have? What don't I like about the people in my life? And spend a little more time trying to figure out, what is the person I need to become? What does that person look like? Because here's what I know about you. It's what I know about me. Our greatest regrets, they're not about a car that we didn't get. They're not about a vacation we didn't get to take this summer. Our greatest regret, actually, no matter how much we worried about it in high school, had nothing to do with that one algebra test we failed. Those were not our greatest regrets. Our greatest regrets were things that we've done or that we've said or people we've hurt. Our greatest regrets are things that we struggle with. Emotions or desires that seem to have complete control over us. It's the people that we are. That is at the core of what our greatest regrets are. And we're going to be learning today from James that 
the blessed life is something deeper than all these circumstances. It's deeper than what happens to us. It's about the people we become. And here's the main thing that I want you to really take away from this today. The people we become, or the person I become, is determined by what I do. That's kind of the main thing. I want you to hold on to that. We're going to come back to it, but let's just jump right into what James would say about being hashtag blessed. And James begins really this whole section by talking about this kind of internal thing. It's not anything that happens to us. It's an internal thing that can wreck our lives. This is what James says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Now, this is just good, practical advice. I mean, think about your relationships. Imagine that moment when you know a fight's coming on, you know, tension's building up, everyone's getting a little heated, a little angry. Imagine if the other person, and I'm not going to talk about you because, let's be honest, you don't have anything to work on. But let's imagine if the other person in the relationship actually put this into practice. They were quick to listen and slow to speak, but before they jumped in with their point of view, but instead of trying to get the first word or the last word in the argument, instead of trying to beat you up and get you know, their opinion totally across, what if they were quick to listen to your side of the story, to your opinion? What if they actually tried to understand what you were going through? And you know this would work because this is what you teach your kids to do, right? Hey, when you start getting angry, you need to stop and count to ten. And now I just want you to consider for, for a moment that you might, and I'm not saying that you do because you're super reasonable and wonderful and you look great in every outfit you try on. But let's just imagine for a moment that maybe you could apply this in your relationships. How would that change your relationship with your spouse or with your boss who never knows what he's talking about or with your teenager who just talks and talks and talks and never listens? What if you were slow to speak you were quick to listen to their side of the story and their opinions before you came forward with your own opinion on the matter. How would that change the situation? Now just imagine that. But James explains, hey, this is about bigger than just a fight in your marriage, although that's a big deal, and this is bigger than about your work performance. This anger in you has the potential to wreck the kind of life that you can have. Because James explains, you should be slow to anger because human anger does not produce the righteousness or the righteous life or the good life that God desires for you to have. You see, there is a kind of life that God desires you to have. And it's not about the job that you get. And it's not about the money that you make. But once again, you, you knew that. You when we talked about greatest regrets a second ago, something came to your mind. And I bet for many of us, anger was somehow involved in that. We got heated, or maybe we kind of had been stuffing something down, and eventually when it exploded, we said something or we did something. We lost our temper. We lost control. And it wasn't just one time. It was the same thing over and over again. In fact, some of us have been making the same apologies over and over Again, and it feels like, well, I just can't control that. That's just who I am. I'm just an angry person. But James would say, hey, no, it's not out of your control. You can choose to be slow to anger. Now, you might have been wondering what this was doing here the whole time, and I'm going to show you right now. There's, 
this theory in the world of psychology that's call, called the Cognitive Behavioral Triangle. That's a name, isn't it? It basically looks like this, and, and the idea behind it is that it kind of explains how we make decisions, or really how we can change things in our lives. And, and the idea behind it is that all of our decisions come down to our thoughts, our emotions, and our behavior. And they're all kind of tied together. So you see here it says, what we think affects how we feel and how we act. And then over here it says, what you feel affects how you think and what you do. And down here it says, what you do affects how you think and how you feel. They're all tied together. And the way it kind of works is like this. You normally have a thought or maybe you have a feeling first. And the thought either leads to the feeling or the feeling leads to the thought. And eventually those things lead to a behavior. And then the consequences of those behavior reinforces the thought or the feeling or vice versa. And I know all of this seems very confusing right now. So I'll give you an example of how this has worked in my life. For most of my life, the reason I did not do anything at all with the gym was because I had a thought about myself, which is, you're not the kind of person who goes to the gym. You don't like physical activity. You don't like to sweat. It's just too difficult. You'll never keep up with it. And that led to these kind of feelings of embarrassment and a little bit of guilt because I knew I should be doing it, but I wasn't doing it. And eventually, those thoughts and feelings led to a behavior, which was occasionally I would sign up for the gym or I would get a piece of gym equipment like a treadmill or something. And inevitably, I would do it for a little bit, but then I would give up because this feeling of kind of embarrassment and guilt that kind of went around with it. And so most of the time, my behavior was just out of control. But at some point in my life, when kind of my body and my health and the physical activity I wanted to do, because I've got a young daughter and I want to keep up with her, it wasn't able to happen. Eventually, I said, hey, you know what? I get I don't think that I can do it, and I get that I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. But if I make myself get up every morning and go to the gym, no matter what I think, no matter what I feel, things will change in my life. And here's what happened. By making myself just do the correct thing, eventually the thought I had that, hey, you're not the kind of person who goes to the gym, it was completely defeated because now I am the kind of person who goes to the gym. And that thought eventually led to this feeling where no longer was I embarrassed, I felt confident because I'm the kind of person who goes to the gym, which then reinforced the correct behavior, which reinforced the kind of thoughts. And eventually my behavior not only changed my, my health, it changed my thoughts and my feelings. And here's what James is trying to point out with anger. He's saying this, most of us feel like our feelings of anger or the thoughts that make us angry. They kind of run our lives, and I don't really get much control of how angry I am. We feel like it's out of our control. And maybe at one point you tried to change the feeling, right? You tried to change this feeling that you had, and you said, I'm just not going to feel that way. I'm just going to be a happy person. I'm going to be a calm person. And you tried to be peaceful and calm, but eventually that attitude, that feeling of anger just crept back up, and you're like, this is out of my control. I guess I have no control of this. Or you decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to change my thought, that I have a thought about a person or a situation, and it's what leads to my anger. So I'm just not going to think those thoughts anymore. But maybe you've done this experiment before. What happens when you tell yourself, I'm not going to think about something? What is the only thing you can think about? That thing, right? Because you'll go, wasn't I not supposed to be thinking about something? Oh, yeah, now I'm angry. Because you, you, And you feel like, well, my thoughts, my feelings, they're out of my control. But what is something that you can control? 
with your behavior. So even if you're not thinking the right thoughts, and even if you don't feel like it in the moment, if when you start to get angry, you are quick to listen and slow to speak, you'll be behaving like a person who is slow to get angry. And eventually, instead of always losing it right away, instead of having the same stupid arguments over and over again, by slowing down and being quick to listen to another person's point of view, you will be taking the right actions, you'll be behaving the right way, and eventually your behavior will reinforce the correct thoughts and the correct feelings, and you will change. And so James says, hey, I want to tell you what to do with all this anger because you feel all these things. What do you do about it? He says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Now, I'll admit, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts sounds so spiritual and very strange that you're like, I'm not into this whole triangle thing, or I don't even know what's going on right now. Well, I think this is much more simple than you think it is. James is talking to a group of believers, Jesus followers, and he's saying, hey, at one point in your life, you stood up and you said, Jesus is the leader of my life, which means his teachings, his commands, his way of life, they're the new center of my life. It's like you got this new heart. And James is saying, hey, you need to accept this new heart because otherwise you're going to reject it. It's like whenever a person gets an organ transplant or you know, a heart transplant, first thing they do is they have to go in and remove the old filthy heart, right? The one that's not working anymore. They take it out. They put the new healthy heart in. They hook it all up. They sew you back up. But before they can send you home, what do they have to wait to see? Whether your body is going to accept this new organ or reject it. And by accept, they're not asking, hey, does this new heart work? They knew it was healthy before they put it in there. They're trying to figure out, will your body use this heart for what it was intended to do, or will it reject it by not using it at all? And what James is saying is that it's the same thing with your relationship with Jesus or your faith. The teachings of Jesus, your faith, the things you believe, we're not supposed to just exist up here as knowledge. That's you not using your faith. He's saying, hey, ultimately, your faith, these teachings of Jesus, were supposed to change how you live. And that will change uh, your life. But for many of us, when it comes to doing what Jesus said, most of us have not had a lot of intention of ever doing what he said. We were just hoping he would kind of fix all the stuff in our life. I want you to fix my marriage or fix my spouse or fix my kids or fix my job, certainly fix my boss, fix my paycheck, fix my house payments, you know, fix this whole heaven thing for me because I can't figure any of that out. But as far as me doing much of anything, well, it just wasn't even really on our agenda. But James says, hey, if you want a blessed life, a life that's not run by your anger or by your desires or your emotions. You have to actually use your faith, these teachings of Jesus, for what they were meant to do, which is to change how you live. Because there's something at huge, huge at stake here if, if we don't get this right, if we don't actually put it into practice. James says, humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Why? For it has the power to save your souls. 
What's at stake? It's your soul. It's the core of you. It's deeper than your appearance or your job performance or your kids' grades and how well they're doing. Your soul is the person you're becoming. And James says, hey, your soul needs saving. And it's not the kind of way soul-saving sounds to most of us religious people. He's not asking, hey, do you know where you're going to go when you die? This isn't about heaven in particular. He's, he's talking about you, that the good in you needs to be saved from all this kind of filth and evil that's in all, all of our lives, that's corrupting the people we're becoming. It's wrecking our lives. That's why James says, hey, before you can even accept this new heart from God, you have to get rid of the filth. So maybe for you, your soul needs saving from anger because for most of your life, it's just consumed who you are and it has wrecked relationships and it's affected your job performance. It's affected your criminal record. It's led to destructive and dangerous habits in your life. And so James says, hey, I know it feels like you can't change the feeling and you can't change the thought, but you can do something. You can get rid of the stuff that leads you to anger. Stuff like instead of playing the same argument in your head over and over again, thinking, hey, you know, if I could just convince them how wrong they are, they'll see how right I am and everything will be better. Or instead of venting out this list of grievances of all the bad things this person has done to you, just don't do that. Get rid of it. It is filth. It is leading you to anger and it's corrupting your soul. Maybe for you, your soul needs saving from the kind of greed that just seems normal in our world. And it's not just the greed that leads to, I need a little more money. It may be the kind of greed that says, hey, I just need a little more respect. I need a little more everyone looking up to me. Or maybe I just need one more, one more promotion. You know, you say, everything will be different. I'm just going to work till I get this one more promotion and everything will be different. But the problem with just one more, just a little more, is there's always one more. And so James says, hey, I know you feel like you can't fight the feeling and you can't fight the thoughts, but you know what you can do? You can live on less than you make, even though you don't have to. You can choose to. You can choose to give away some of your money pretty regularly for the reason of saying, I want to get rid of these things that have the potential to corrupt the person I'm becoming. Or maybe your, your soul needs saving from your desires. What you feel and how you feel about yourself, it runs everything in your life. And so you live almost every moment living for these kind of pleasurable experiences, one experience to the next. And maybe it's just the one weekend to the next. I'm living for the weekend. Or maybe it's one binge to the next binge or one Netflix binge to the next binge. Or maybe it's one Tinder hookup to the next or one website to the next. And in the moment, everything kind of feels good and it feels right. And then you end up feeling empty and meaningless. And it's like your life is just shaking in the wind. And James would say, hey, I get the desire seems too strong to say no. But you can do something about it. You can starve these desires in you. You can choose to intentionally just fast from some things so that you strengthen your ability to say no to the things that really matter in your life. Or you can stay away from these images or this media that leads you to, to lustful thoughts and just keeping that right on the top of your mind or you can intentionally slow your life down so you're not always feeling the need to be entertained. Yes, I know you feel like you can't change this, but you can do something. 
Because until you choose to do what Jesus tells you to do, you'll never look more like Jesus, and you'll never live the life of peace and joy that he promises you. See, this is a blessed life. It's a life where you look more like Jesus every day. It's a life where you live free of the things that once controlled you, and now you can live a life that God and you want for you. And so James warns us, hey, this is what's going to happen if you don't do what Jesus says. James writes, but don't just listen to God's word or Jesus' teachings. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Now, this right here is the problem with religion. And maybe this is, if you don't consider yourself a believer, it's your problem with religious people. That religion allows you to show up to a building like this and to listen to you know, very smart and inspired teaching from the stage or to read your Bible or to have some kind of spiritual experience and you get a feeling and you feel because you had this feeling that something has changed. And most of the time the feeling is just, I feel bad. I feel guilty, right? And, and you'll even say, hey, I just feel so blessed. And you'll come up after a service and say, you know, pastor, that sermon, it blessed me. And what you mean is, I felt bad. I felt so bad because I'm not doing any of that stuff. I have no intention of doing any of the stuff, but I feel bad, and that felt blessed. You know, you read those verses we read earlier in the service where it said, love one another because God is love, and that felt good. It felt good, and you think, amen, we should do that. But most of our experiences, after the service, we're going to go get in a car, and our kids are going to be hungry and tired and they're going to be whining. And because we're hungry and tired, we have the temptation to just lose it on them. And maybe we don't. Maybe we don't. Maybe we kind of stuff it down and we, it's kind of boiling up. And so we get to the restaurant and the waitress is not as polite or as quick or as subservient as we think she should be. And once again, maybe we don't lose it on her, but maybe we're going to lose it on the tip a, a little bit for her. And internally, we're just, we're just losing it on the inside. And then our food comes and we pray for the food to be blessed, and we feel blessed. And James is saying, man, you are fooling yourself. Just because you learned something, just because you heard something, just because you felt something, doesn't mean anything has changed. You know, until you actually do something, your soul is not being saved. The, the core of who you are is not becoming better you actually have to do what God's word says. And then James paints this picture for us to kind of see how ridiculous it would be to hear God's word and not do it. He says this, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now I think this is meant to be comical. James says what most religious people do when we come and we hear but we don't do. It's like a person going before a mirror and seeing this hot mess, right? Everything's messed up, and they know they could fix it. They just got to brush their hair, brush their teeth, you know, get the whole thing together. But instead, what they do is they go, oh, mirror, mirror on the wall, I feel so bad. I feel so bad for not doing this. And then they walk away going, that was a good service in front of that mirror. And they feel blessed, but nothing's changed. I mean, imagine a person standing in front of a mirror knowing that they have an overgrown cemetery of a beard on their face and thinking, yeah, this is good enough to get up and preach a sermon. Imagine that. By the way, many of you seem to want to talk to me about my beard. I don't know why. But uh, I had a former student who once said, you know, all beards are gross. And I said, hey, 
excuse me? And she said, well, no, yours is fine because it matches your face. I'm like, I don't know that that's a compliment, but you get the point. The purpose of a mirror is to point out a problem so you'll do something about it. In fact, I know how long you spent in front of the mirror this morning because it's as long as we all do, as long as it takes. And for some of us, that's so impossibly long, we just give up. But others of us spent so much time in front of our bathroom mirror that our family was leaving and we had to transfer from that mirror to the mirror on our phone to the mirror in our car because we were going to take as long as it takes to get this thing right. And James is saying, hey, the point of Jesus' teachings and his commands, and I'll tell you, the, the point of the sermons Ed and Jason and I give, they're not just to make you feel something or for you to even know something. It's that you'd go and you'd do something because in the doing, you actually begin to save your soul. It's in the doing you begin to look more like Jesus. It's not from the hearing. It's not from the feeling that you're blessed. That's just what James would call dead religion. In fact, I think James would argue that Christianity isn't a religion. I think James and I think Jesus would say, Christianity isn't a religion, it's an apprenticeship. Because an apprentice is someone who's trying to learn how to do what their master is doing. A few months ago, we had a sermon where Jason talked about how Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. He called them to be a disciple. And a disciple is an apprentice of a teacher. And so disciples of Jesus are people who are learning to do what Jesus would do if he was living their life. It's about trying to look more and more like God in every area of our lives. For James, faith is not about information. It's about transformation. It's not about what you know. It's about becoming the kind of person who acts and thinks and looks more like Jesus every day. And as I said earlier... The person we become is determined by what we do. So let's just go back to the beginning of this whole thing. If I want to be a person who's free of anger, if I want better relationships, if I want a blessed marriage, should I pray about it? Absolutely. You should be praying for your, yourself and, and, and your marriage. Should you listen to sermons uh, uh, to get more information? Absolutely. But it's not... In the experience, it's, it's not in the learning that anything changes. It's not until you actually do what Jesus told you to do, be quick to listen, slow to speak, that anything is going to change. You'll never be blessed until you do what he says. Because Christianity is not a religion. It's an apprenticeship. It's about learning to do what Jesus would do in your life. So if I want to have the kind of thoughts Jesus has, if, if I want to experience the full and abundant emotional life of peace and joy that he promises, then I have to do what Jesus did. And so James wraps up this whole mirror metaphor by saying this, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. If you choose to actually use the teachings of Jesus for what they were meant for, which is to be a mirror for your life so you can see what to change so you can do something, well, then you'll be blessed. Right now, 
Most of us spend more time in front of a mirror trying to shape our bodies and our face in the image of Ryan Reynolds or Beyonce. And I just got to tell you, it ain't going to happen, folks. They won some kind of like genetic lottery. But God has given us this mirror, the teachings and the commands of Jesus and the life of Jesus. And it can shape us in his image, the core of who we are. And then we'll be blessed. We'll find freedom. We won't be burdened by the anger that once consumed us. You won't be compelled to always have the last word in the argument. You won't be driven by the desire to have more and more, more stuff, more pleasure, more power, more prestige, more respect. You will truly be free. This is a blessed life. In fact, a great Christian thinker that was named Dallas Willard once said that a sign of spiritual maturity are the thoughts that no longer occur to you. A blessed life is shown in the things that no longer affect you. The desires you don't have to constantly fight off, the things that actually no longer even seem attractive to you, the things that once angered or offended you that don't anymore. Why? Because you changed the one thing you could, and it changed everything else. And through the work of the Holy Spirit partnering with you, your soul got cleansed. It was like there was this image of God on you that was kind of covered in filth and dirt. And the Holy Spirit slowly been cleaning it off. And now you see the beautiful picture, the beautiful you that's underneath. But it only happens when we look intently into the truth of God and then do what He tells us to do. It's like a mirror. We have to stand in front of God's Word long enough. How long is long enough? As long as it takes. So here's my challenge to you and to myself. Do the next right thing you know to do. I mean, every moment, every day, you have decisions that are put before you, and you just need to go, what's the most loving thing to do right now? What's the most honest thing to do right now? What's the most honorable thing for me to do right now? And you probably don't need a lot of extra biblical knowledge for that. You don't need some kind of spiritual experience to know. You need obedience. And if you want extra credit, we, we've been encouraging uh, everybody to read through the book of James Monday through Friday. There's five chapters, so if you read one a day, you'll get through it. And here's my encouragement this week. Read it enough that it encourages you to go do something. Maybe do the experience we had earlier in the service where you read it a couple times and you pray, God, show me what I need to do because of this knowledge. And then don't just have a religious experience. Go and do it. Because if we want to find freedom from the desires that control us, if we want a blessed life where we actually look and think and act like Jesus, we have to do more than hear. We have to do what Jesus says. So would you stand with me right now? And I would just love to pray a blessing over us that God would give us the power to do what he's called us to do. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for the example of Jesus that you've given us, that we can know how to live our lives, that we can be apprentices of you learning to do what you would do. And that as we do that, your spirit works in us to shape us and change us and give us a blessed life, a truly good life. I ask that you would give us the power to do that this week, to honor you and obey you. We do that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thank you guys for being here. We will see you next Sunday for the next week of gym class.